Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the 21st episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodations. I'm your host, Josh Seidman. Today is a very special episode of Take It or Leave It. It's May, spring flowers are blooming, and the summer breeze is floating through the air across the country. It's also, very importantly, Military Appreciation Month. Memorial Day generally makes many of the headlines as the day to pause, reflect, remember, and thank our country's past and present service members for their sacrifice and service, and rightly so. It also happens to be the weekend of my wedding anniversary, but that's a story for another day. In addition to Memorial Day, the entire month of May is full of ways our country shows gratitude to our nation's troops and their families. This includes Military Spouse Appreciation Day, Armed Forces Day, and significant military milestones and achievements like VE Day, remembering and commemorating the end of World War II in Europe in 1945. Given the importance of this month and its tie to military appreciation, for today's Take It or Leave It episode, we are going to spend some time talking about military leave in the United States. The landscape, which should come as no surprise to those of you who regularly deal with paid leave and leave of absence laws in the United States, or who happen to have stumbled upon this podcast, is full of federal standards and state patchworks. In terms of military leave, the bar is set by the Federal Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act of 1994, or USERA as it's more commonly called, as well as the military leave provisions in the federal FMLA, interaction with the ADA, and so forth. With so much going on in the military leave space, I am thrilled to have Brad Kelly joining me today for our episode to discuss some of the nuances, background, and recent developments involving military leave. Brad Kelly is Chief Counsel to U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, Commissioner Keith E. Sonderling. The EEOC is the federal agency responsible for enforcing federal laws that make it illegal to discriminate against a job applicant or an employee because of that person's race, color, religion, sex, pregnancy, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, age, disability, or genetic information. Prior to joining the EEOC, Brad was a senior policy advisor in the United States Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division, which administers and enforces federal labor laws, including the Fair Labor Standards Act and the Family Medical Leave Act. Brad has published numerous articles on labor and employment law topics, ranging from artificial intelligence and employment decision-making to federal and state leave requirements. Before becoming an attorney, Brad served as a U.S. Army Infantry and Intelligence Officer, and he's also a veteran of the Iraq War. Brad, welcome. Thank you for your service, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, me as well. This is is great, and and such a great time for us to be doing it with Military Appreciation Month uh, happening actively in in, in the month of May. So to start things off, can you give us just a little bit of background on uh, your background and experience with you, Sarah, military leave of absence legal standards and, and the like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, USERA is actually an important reason why I actually became an attorney. Um, When I was uh, deployed to the Iraq War, I was an infantry and intelligence officer, but I ended up helping out a lot of soldiers who were attached to our unit, who were in the National Guard and Reserves, who had a number of USERA issues. So that was the main reason that I decided to uh, leave the Army and uh, go to law school. And then since leaving the uh, Army, I've uh, continued to interest in USERA. Uh, When I was in private practice, I handled a lot of USERA compliance and counseling with clients. And then as a senior policy advisor at the Department of Labor, I worked on a number of USERA issues with the uh, agency at the uh, Department of Labor who uh, is in charge of uh, USERA. And at the EOC, uh, we've put out 
three guidance documents in late 2020 to help employers understand how USERA applies to veteran employees and those employing them. And I was very involved uh, with that guidance and uh, other efforts at the EOC handling USERA. Then in a private capacity, I've um, authored a number of articles on uh, USERA, including one that came out just a few months ago in the Penn State Law Review on uh, short-term paid military leave. Ah, that's, that's wonderful, Brad. So, so, I mean, thank you again for your service, the background. And it, it's really great to ha- how you sort of weaved th- those experiences from your service into your, your practice. And it really wonderful, wonderful stories. Thank you for sharing. Before we dive into some of the more pressing and recent military leave considerations that have popped up, let's maybe level set things for our listeners. Can you give us a brief overview of you, Sarah, things like eligibility, covered reasons, and, and so forth? Yeah. So that even though uh, USERA was enacted in 1994, USERA had a couple of predecessor laws dating back to World War II. So that makes USERA the latest in a series of veterans' employment rights laws that are aimed at safeguarding employment and reemployment rights of veterans and members of the uh, military. And it's mainly geared toward National Guard and reservists, those who serve in those capacities. Congress intended for USERA to encourage military service by minimizing employment disadvantages and disruptions that are caused by military service. USERA broadly prohibits employers from discriminating or retaliating against military service based on a service member's past, present, or even future participation in the military. The discrimination or retaliation protections broadly cover the entire employment life cycle, ranging from hiring, promotions, and terminations. And USERA also covers benefits and things along those lines. In addition, USERA provides employees with a variety of leave entitlements for absences related to military services. So for things like being called up for training and, uh, you know, issues like that. The law applies to all employers, no matter the number of employees they have, and it allows service members to regain their civilian jobs following a period of military service. In addition, USERA provides specific protections for service members who incur disabilities related to their military service and requires employers to make reasonable attempts to accommodate these service-related disabilities or to offer employment in an equivalent position if such accommodations aren't available. It's a highly consequential employment protection statute. Again, as I mentioned, it applies to all employers and virtually all employees. And there's also, very importantly, there's no statute of limitations uh, for USERA claims. In addition, there's no exhaustion requirement. It also provides a, a lot of equitable and monetary relief, including liquidated damages for willful violations. USERA is enforced by both the U.S. Department of Labor and the U.S. Department of Justice. They kind of split authority, um, you know, in responsibility of uh, USERA. Wow, Brad, that is highly consequential indeed. Thank you. That background is is so helpful and so many moving pieces and components for employers to keep tabs on. So thank you for, for that overview. So let's jump, uh, I guess, into the recent past now. So looking back at the last 12 or so months, What are one or two of the common USERA issues or hot topics that you've encountered or at least are are keeping tabs on? Yeah, I think that overall, I think it's important to kind of start off with some background about why USERA has become a hot topic in recent years, why it's really picked up. Yeah, for sure. 
the military did not deploy National Guard members or reservists. You know, historically, you know, it was mainly active duty military personnel who were deployed. But that really changed during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And you had National Guard and reservists who were regularly called up for active duty. So it really started heating up during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, particularly with the surge in Iraq around 2008. But then during the COVID-19 pandemic, it exacerbated the employment issues that many military members face, you know, particularly in the National Guard, where they were confronted with even longer deployments and period of activation. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, the National Guard members and reservists were called up to administer tests and vaccines, volunteer food banks across the country, and quell civil unrest. In addition to their more traditional duties, such as responding to natural disasters like floods and wildfires, COVID-19 also caused National Guard and reservists to be called up to act as things like teachers, janitors, and even bus drivers. Recent reports show that soldiers are now away from home more than ever, despite no longer having ongoing wars, such as the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it kind of this kind of sets the backdrop for why USERA has become a pressing issue and why you're seeing increased litigation and laws dealing with military leave. You know, as far as recent hot topics that, um, you know, to kind of keep tabs on for the past 12 months, last summer, the Supreme Court issued Tories versus uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, in which the Supreme Court held that USERA allows for the same private right of action for claims against state employers as it does for claims against private employers. So what this means is that state employers can't claim that sovereign immunity is a defense from USERA suits because of the federal government's broad ward powers. The uh, second biggest issue that we've seen in recent years, particularly in the last 12 months, has been the short-term paid military leave issue. And the focal point of this litigation is whether companies must provide military service members with short-term paid leave if they provide paid leave to workers when they take comparable forms of non-military leave, such as jury duty, vacation time, funeral leave, or sick time. USERA entitles service members who are absent from a position of employment by reason of their service to the same rights and benefits not determined by seniority as non-military employees who take leave. So that even though USERA doesn't have a general mandate for employers to pay all service members taking leave, it does mandate that service members are treated equally to other workers. And this is really kind of sets the backdrop for this recent suit. And it becomes a question as far as seeing this litigation of what is a comparable form of leave? And the Department of Labor has a regulation on what constitutes a comparable form of leave under USERA. And the regulation requires that the service member is given the most favorable treatment accorded to any comparable form of leave. So that's the way of kind of approaching it overall, that, you know, you're supposed to put the service member in the best position possible. Uh, the USERA regulation um, identifies several factors to evaluate the non-military leave and whether it's comparable to military leave. And these factors include the duration of the leave, looking at the purpose of the leave, and then whether the employee can decide when to take the leave, i.e. a level of control over that leave. And then whether short-term paid military leave meets USERA's definition of rights and benefits. This is what has generated the flurry of litigation in recent years against a lot of major companies. And a lot of these lawsuits are specifically against, uh, you know, major transportation companies and industries that employ a high number of uh, National Guardists and reservists. And this includes a lot of the airline companies where you have a lot of pilots who serve in the uh, reserves, but also 
have civilians jobs that they have to balance. That's great stuff, Brad. So, so very interesting. And so much, like you said, activity, both practical uh, and then from a litigation perspective, just a lot, a lot going on. One point that you mentioned that I'd like to stick with for just another minute here is the USERRA short-term paid military leave and the litigation surrounding that topic. Are you sort of aware of, and can you maybe give a little bit more color to how courts have generally responded to and ruled on lawsuits alleging that employers are required to provide paid military leave under USERRA for short-term military leaves if the company provides for similar leave? I know you mentioned it was like sick time, bereavement, things like that. I know you mentioned this concept of comparable form of leave being you know, one of one of those you know, sort of focal points, but can you maybe give a little bit more color on, on that for just a second? Yeah. So for the court decisions before 2021, federal court across the country rendered mixed decisions as to whether USERRA requires employers to provide paid short-term military leave. But then in 2021, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit and the Third Circuit both held that USERRA requires employers to provide pay for military leave in the same fashion they provide it for jury duty, vacation, sick leave, or absences. Then earlier this year, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a unanimous uh, decision upholding USERRA protections. And what's really interesting about the Ninth Circuit you know, decision is that in contrast to the Seventh and Third Circuit decisions, which were on the motion to dismiss phase, the Ninth Circuit was ruling on a um, summary judgment issue, and they decided that the issue had to be heard by a jury. And currently, the 11th Circuit has a USERRA case that they're considering on appeal. And this is very significant because in this case, the federal district court granted summary judgment to the USERRA plaintiffs on the short-term paid military leave. And this is the first time that USERRA plaintiffs won at the summary judgment phase with that. You know, whereas, you know, at the Ninth Circuit, they said it had to go to a jury trial and the Seventh and Third Circuit. So, like, if you look at the trajectory of these cases, it's very much favoring the USERRA plaintiff side. And in the 11th Circuit case, the oral arguments were held earlier this month. So there should be a decision, uh, you know, within the next uh, few, uh, several months. But it's uh, it's very interesting seeing these court decisions. But overall, the trend seems to be going in favor of the uh, USERRA plaintiffs in these cases. Fascinating. Fascinating. Brad, thank you for, for, for that background uh, again. And keeping track of all the litigation and you know what the ninth seventh third circuits are doing now the 11th circuit it's it's certainly a lot of of moving pieces and the landscape is shifting on 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 for employers to, to keep tabs on so thank you for that speaking of of employers right and and some of these moving pieces you know given all of the usera short-term paid military leave litigation that's going on can you just give a little bit of explanation or sort of thoughts on what are some of the best practices that employers should consider when, when handling military leave considerations? Yeah, I, I think two really come to mind, two best practices that uh, you know employers should definitely keep on their radar. First, employers should have situational awareness of the legal and regulatory landscape. And this includes the state and local laws involving military leave. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, earlier that one of the biggest driving factors for why state and local laws are going to affect is because National Guard members and reservists are being called up at an increased rate. So this is causing a lot of uh, state and local governments to, you know, visit the issue or revisit the issue of military leave. So, for example, San Francisco recently enacted a military paid leave law. 
because right. the troops were being called up more frequently for COVID-19, forest fires, and a host of other reasons. So that's one best practice, just to keep a, keep awareness of the uh, legal and regulatory uh, landscape. And secondly, and kind of relatedly, the recent litigation illustrates why employers should frequently review their benefits policies and handbooks to ensure compliance with the shifting legal requirements. And this is particularly important for businesses operating in the 7th, 3rd, and ninth circuits, and perhaps soon enough, the 11th circuit as well. And, you know, in response to this litigation, some companies have changed their military leave policies rather than, you know, litigating these disputes. And I think this is particularly important to consider, you know, having that, you know, discussion, you know, especially with seasoned counsel, you know, where, because there's no statute of limitations for you, Sarah. So like if you're in violation, that's continuing, you're not going to be able to run out the clock because with the lack of statute of limitations. So that really I think that that's why you're seeing a lot of companies, why they're fiercely, you know, fighting these USERRA cases, because the lack of statute of limitations means, you know, you're going to be on a hook on the hook for a lot of, uh, you know, for a lot of money in most cases. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Those are great tips and, and, and really thoughtful points. Um, keeping awareness of the landscape, reviewing your policies and handbooks, especially if you're in some of those, you know, problem child jurisdictions, whatever the, the leave topic is. And I think those are, are, are great call outs. And the lack of the statute of limitations is, is particularly important for all the reasons you, you just echoed, Brad. So, so I, I agree. Let's switch gears for a minute to uh, the ADA, right? So the Americans with Disabilities Act. Can, can you speak just a little bit about how the ADA and USERRA interact and apply to veteran employees and, and those who are employing them? Yes. Uh, so the ADA, just for quick background, it's enforced by the EEOC and it prohibits an employer from treating an applicant or an employee unfavorably in all aspects of employment because the individual has a disability, a history of having a disability, or because the employer regards the individual as having a disability. And I, I alluded to earlier that the EEOC issued new guidance in late 2020 related to the employment discrimination challenges that face our nation's veterans, especially in light of the high rate of disabilities among the veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And the EOC in late 2020 put forward these three revised documents that address how the ADA and USERRA apply to veteran employees and those employing them. And some of the highlights of this uh, guidance is that any veteran with a disability who meets the ADA's definition of disability is covered. And this is regardless of whether the veteran's disability is service connected or not. Another key point of the uh, guidance is that if a veteran has a military disability rating or a disability rating from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, the veteran is probably covered by the ADA. There was also some additional points that the uh, guidance brought up to really stress to both veterans and uh, employers about the reasonable accommodation process. You know, the need to have modified equipment or devices if that's necessary at the workplace and physical modifications to the workplace, leave for treatment, re recuperation or training related to the uh, veteran's disability. And also it reminded them of the process of how to request a reasonable accommodation in the informal interactive process. And we stressed in the guidance from the EOC that this is an informal process of, you know, identifying um, the best accommodation solutions to the uh, disability. 
And then also the guidance stressed uh, you know, things such as, you know, reminding veterans that they're not required to disclose that they have any medical um, condition on job application or during an interview. And then also, I think most importantly, is reminding or informing veteran employees what to do if they feel as if the employer has violated the ADA by not hiring them or providing them with a reasonable accommodation. So saying, what are the steps you can take to um, ensure that your rights are protected? And, you know, things like contacting the, either the EOC or the uh, Department of Labor or DOJ and things along those lines. So I, I'm very proud of the guidance the EOC put out. I think that it was a really good way to provide additional information on both the ADA and USERA. Absolutely. Absolutely, Brad. And really, again, just helpful to have it all in one place broken down in easy to understand kind of terms, because these laws are anything but but easy, especially when you're trying to fit two of them together. So uh, so no, that, that I agree uh, with that point about the guidance. Let's maybe pivot a little bit, very certainly related to the ADA, right? The Federal Family Medical Leave Act, right? the FMLA. So can you speak to what employment law legal protections are available for military uh, family caregivers uh, under the federal FMLA. Yeah, so just generally speaking, the FMLA is a vital employment law protection that requires covered employers to provide employees with job protected unpaid leave for qualified family medical and personal uh, medical reasons. It also requires employers to maintain group uh, health benefits for employees on leave. The original FMLA passed in 1993 did not include protection specific to military personnel or military caregivers. But in 2008, in response to the ongoing conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, Congress expanded the FMLA to include two new types of leave for military families, qualifying exigency leave and military caregiver leave. And DWELL put out regulations in 2013 providing uh, you know, some uh, information um, on these uh, types of leave. But just generally speaking, the first type of leave is the FMLA's qualifying exigency leave, which allows for family of regular active duty service members, as well as the family of reserve and National Guard members to take up to 12 weeks of unpaid job protected leave in a 12 month period for a qualifying exigency arising out of the active duty or called active duty status of a spouse, son, daughter or parent. Um, and uh, the FMLA is the second type of leave is the caregiver leave. And this allows an eligible employee who is the spouse, son, daughter, parent or next of kin of a covered veteran with a serious injury or illness to take up six weeks of unpaid leave during a single 12 month period to provide for care for the uh, veteran. And those just generally speaking are the two types of leave that were provided by the FMLA in response to the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan. And they're still in the books today. Yep, you know, for, absolutely, they are. And I think a quick follow up on that, you know, speaking of, of military caregivers and outside the context of the FMLA and this, this expansion that you spoke about, what employment law legal protections are available for military family caregivers sort of in addition to the, the FMLA and its protections? No, that's a that's a great question. And, and I think it's important because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that 
military caregivers are it's one of the fastest demographics of caregivers in the uh, country. Approximately, mm-hmm. it's around 5.5 million people, mostly family members, provide unpaid uh, care for active duty military service members and veterans, including many disabled uh, military members. And these family caregivers of these military service members are required to balance their employment with their caregiving responsibilities. And in late 2021, First Lady Jill Biden referred to this growing problem as a national security imperative and something that must be addressed. But this raises the question, what employment law protections are available for these family caregivers of military service members or veterans? In addition to the FMLA, the ADA provides some protections, especially through the ADA's associational protection provision, which says that if you're associated with somebody who's disabled, there's you know forms of protection that are available under the ADA. Uh, USERA also provides protections, including a lot of the protections that we discussed earlier. This is particularly important if the caregiver is themselves a uh, military veteran, but also there's a lot of very important laws at both the state and local level that provide additional protections to be aware of. And this includes, you know, specific laws at the local and state level for caregivers. And uh, it's just something that's uh, important for, uh, you know, purposes of, you know, how to address this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's one of those, uh, the, the state patchworks that are around our country in, in terms of any leave of absence law that you can really think of. Uh, if there's one, there, there's probably multiple and there's probably differences and nuances to them. So uh, your military leave, you mentioned the San Francisco paid mandate that, that popped on the scene a few months back as an example. So no, I agree for sure. And sort of speaking on this topic, which you've touched on a little bit throughout some of your your responses, how do these state and local laws involving military leave kind of factor into the equation here, both for military service members uh, and their families? Are these all unpaid? Are are some of them paid? Uh, What are some of the different types of state laws that could be kind of related uh, to military service? Yeah, it's it's a very important question. And I think starting off with you, Sarah, you know, you, Sarah also has a lot of state counterparts and, you know, you, Sarah, sweeping protections establish a floor for service members rights, not a ceiling. Because of that, many states have enacted laws extending greater employment protections for military service members and veterans. In addition to state USERA laws, FMLA counterparts exist in a number of states. Generally, these are mainly unpaid. But one of the trends in recent years has been to see increased paid leave for military leave. And for example, the Oklahoma legislature in a few years ago revised its USERA law to require paid leave for both public and private sector employees under certain circumstances. In addition, Connecticut's USERA law requires employers to grant paid leave to employees in any reserve component or in the National Guard who are ordered to perform military duty during regular working hours, including training and meetings. And then, as you mentioned, San Francisco passed a law, you know, requiring, uh, you know, that allows employees who are members of the U.S. military to take paid leave for one day or more for up to 30 days per year. So that seems to be the growing trend is providing, you know, paid leave for military leave. And that's something that I I, I expect we're going to see, especially with the increased reliance in the National Guard and Reserve. Yep, that is, Brad, thank you so much. The trends are are definitely heading in, in that direction. So thanks for sharing your thoughts, your insights, your experience with us. So valuable for me as an individual who's interested in the leave of absence space, but certainly for our listeners as well. Thank you for sharing your insights on all things military leave with us today. Thank you very much for having me. 
Yes, of, of course. And, and a huge thank you uh, to all of our country's current military members, veterans, their spouses and families. We so very much appreciate your continued sacrifices and services. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode. We will see you next time.